Welcome to Transit Unplugged, the Comfort Corner Edition. I'm Paul Comfort, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today as we bring you the inside story and what's happening around the transit industry as we relate to the COVID-19 virus. And this is the Friday weekend edition on April 3rd, 2020. On today's episode, we've got a great couple uh, additions to the program. We'll be giving you some amazing news highlights for the week uh, as we head into the weekend. And then we also, we've got a great interview with Julie Tim, who is the uh, CEO and general manager of GRTC in Richmond, the transit service in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I spoke with her by Zoom and like everybody's doing now and had a great talk to her about what's happening there in Richmond, good mid-sized system uh, to compare your system to and kind of some of the things that they've been doing. And then we've got Paola Riopozzo, who is an author uh, of a chapter in my new book, The Future of Public Transportation. And uh, she reads uh, highlights from her chapter on the future of passenger rail. It's chapter three in my uh, book, The Future of Public Transportation. So you get to hear some other voices besides just mine. Two great uh, leaders in our industry, uh, our guests today on the program. So, so great to have them here. And now for the headlines. Hey, you know, I've been thinking there's been so many webinars and things like that going on uh, with experts talking about what they're doing, but I haven't seen any like with the CEOs. And as you know, I'm the former CEO of the MTA in Baltimore and uh, the 11th largest transit system in America. And, you know, my podcast, Transit Unplugged, normally interviews CEOs uh, and gets their inside story. So I thought, why don't I hold a live CEO roundtable online? So that's what we're going to do. On Tuesday, April 14th at 2 p.m., I'm going to hold uh, a digital, uh, you know, CEO roundtable for everyone. And you can just sign up and uh, be in the listen mode and watch them. They'll be live on camera. We've got some great people that'll be, um, be with us, including Inez Evans, who is CEO of Indigo. Uh, Scott Bogren, who is um, Executive Director of the Community Transportation Association of America, representing the mid and small size systems, community transportation systems. Then Wade Coombs, who is CEO of Strathcona County in uh, Canada. I wanted to get a Canadian perspective. Uh, Bill Carpenter, uh, who was the very first guest on Transit Unplugged, and who has just given a tremendous, what I consider best practices, uh, you know, program for their, uh, in Rochester, New York, for their transit system there. I've, I've posted his best practices as an article on my LinkedIn page. If you can uh, get to LinkedIn and get to Paul Comfort, look at my articles. It's the most recent article. It's an amazing, great take on what they're doing there. He's going to be on the show as well. And then uh, my new friend, Julie Tim, CEO of Richmond. And then uh, another longtime friend, Kevin Quinn, who took my place as CEO after I left in Maryland at the MTA. Uh, from Baltimore. He's going to be on there. So a great um, program of CEOs. It's going to be again called Managing Through COVID-19, Tuesday, April 14th at 2 p.m. It's a Transit Unplugged CEO roundtable. I'll be posting information on my LinkedIn page as well as Trapeze's where you can register uh, this coming week and uh, make sure you don't miss that. It's going to be a great program. Lots of other headline news to cover today. Man, you know, I love... Um, uh, the former CEO of, uh, or the former chair of APTA and the CEO currently of Jacksonville Transit Authority, Nat Ford. He's one of the best guys. He comes up with amazing ideas. In my mind, he's really the one that got our transit uh, industry ready for the future that was coming with mobility as a service and autonomous vehicles and all the new technology a couple years ago when he was chair. And once again, he's leading the way. Get this. Um, so, down in Jacksonville, Florida, 
They've partnered, the JTA, the Jacksonville Transportation Authority, has partnered with Beep and Navia to use autonomous vehicles to facilitate the safe transport of COVID-19 tests collected at a drive-through testing location at the Mayo Clinic in Florida. Nat Ford, Nathaniel Ford, says this deployment is an historic moment for the Jacksonville Transit Authority. Along with our partners, Beep and Navia and the Mayo Clinic, we are leveraging our learnings from three years of testing autonomous vehicles through our ultimate urban circulator program, our innovative team saw this as an opportunity to use technology to respond to this crisis in Northeast Florida and increase the safety of COVID-19 testing. So earlier this week, uh, they've, they've had four autonomous vehicles. They began operating along an initial route and get this, in full autonomous mode without attendants or any other people on board to transport COVID-19 tests from a drive-through testing site to a processing lab on Mayo Clinic's campus. These COVID-19 test samples are placed in secure containers prior uh, to Mayo Clinic healthcare professionals loading the samples onto the shuttle. And uh, so, I mean, I think it's the first time in America that someone has used an autonomous vehicle in a regular service without anybody on board. Most of them all have a safety attendant or something like that with that little Xbox-like controller on it. So, and what a great, unique, innovative way to do it. There's a full article on it uh, today in Metro Magazine, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's awesome. And just congratulations to Nat for his forethought and community service. I think he was named CEO of the year this year down there. And for good reason, the guy is amazing. And what an amazing ambassador for our industry. Another good guy that's coming on the scene uh, that I actually got to meet this week via uh, a, a Zoom call is uh, you've heard of this company, RATP Dev uh, USA. Remember they bought up uh, McDonald Transit a couple years ago. They're the North American subsidiary of the global transportation provider. Well, they have a new CEO here in America. His name is Arnaud Legrand, and um, he brings with him an, an impressive scope of operational and managerial expertise. He directed technical teams and projects for 21 years in complex transit operations, uh, and uh, during his time in the aeronautical and railway industries, his career was bolstered by international influences. He joined RATP Group in 2008 as deputy GM of RERB, one of Paris's regional trains, completing over 165 million journeys per year. In 2010, he was named their executive VP for Africa and America, and um, he managed over 80 transport operating companies. In 2013, he was CEO of RATP Dev subsidiary in Johannesburg, South Africa, and now he is um, leading RATP Dev USA's corporate headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and I hope to have him on as a, uh, a guest on an upcoming, I told him that yesterday. I said, oh, no, I got to get you on a show. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about his um, new leadership there in the industry. It's great. Now a couple of interesting things going on around the business. Um, MTA, I mentioned them, uh, Maryland Transit Administration, their ridership has uh, you know, dropped by more than half as of this last week, and the agency plans to temporarily suspend service beginning this Monday on 11 routes that are experiencing an average 82% drop in ridership in order to more efficiently deploy resources to core bus service. And so um, you can see that, you know, this is a, a sample of what's happening, right? Another uh, nearby agency from where I live, uh, WMATA, Washington Metro, has adopted their 2021 budget, but obviously everything could change. They, they adopted it on Thursday, uh, it's a $3.9 billion fiscal 21 budget, 
And I wanted to talk about it because I know a lot of folks are in their budget process, you know, which normally our fiscal years start in, in July, most people and some people in October following the federal fiscal year. But um, the spending plan is similar to a draft budget drawn up last year. Uh, its approval via teleconference comes amid an uncertain time for the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. The system's ridership has collapsed, the result of slash service uh, as a means to slow the spread. And uh, get this. Paul Wiedefeld, my buddy, you know, Paul and I used to be both work at the Maryland Department of Transportation. When I was head of the MTA, he was head of BWI Airport and the uh, Maryland Aviation Administration. We became good friends. He kind of like welcomed me to the department and, you know, helped orient me. And, uh, and then he went on after that and got the job as head of WMATA. And it's just done a tremendous job leading an agency that's had a lot of issues with safety, et cetera, that he's been trying to clean up. And now they've got, and, and finances, because <laughs> they don't have a dedicated funding source, unlike most transit agencies. But get this, they've lost $67 million in recent weeks. They've, they're losing about $2.5 million a day because you know ridership and fares have gone down so dramatically. So, um, so the budget's been adopted, but um, you know, uh, all, basically what they're saying in this article that I'm reading from uh, the Washington Business News Journal, that you know, all bets are off and, and they'll see what happens as they get closer to the date of it opening. Speaking of money, uh, and I wanted to save this as last for the highlights, uh, I've been uh, up to my elbows in, in working with uh, transit companies and agencies and other folks in um, helping to explain and facilitate the understanding of the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Transit Administration $25 billion in federal funding allocations that comes out today. They actually beat it by a day. Uh, they thought it was going to come out uh, on April 3rd, but actually April 2nd, they sent out the notice and you can look it up. Just look up transit.dot.gov. I'll post a link to it on my LinkedIn page if you want to see. They've actually now issued who's getting what, how much money is going to each area and you know those MPOs, the Metropolitan Planning Organizations, then funnel that funding down um, to the uh, agencies themselves. And so you can see how much your local agency is going to be getting in federal funds. Um, congratulations to Elaine Chow and um, the acting administrator, Jane Williams, uh, another good friend of mine. Jane used to work with us at Maryland Department of Transportation too and was our Washington DC representative uh, prior to her being named by the president as acting administrator, but they now have uh, have released the funds. And uh, you remember that FTA funds are um, are being provided at 100% federal share with no local match required. And they're available to support capital operating and other expenses generally eligible under those programs to prevent, prepare for and respond to COVID-19. Uh, furthermore, operating expenses incurred beginning on January 20th for all rural and urban recipients, even those in large urban areas, are also eligible, including operating expenses to maintain transit service, as well as paying for administrative leave for transit personnel due to reduced operations during the emergency. And they've issued a frequently asked questions uh, section as well. Uh, uh, Jane Williams said, we know that many of our nation's public transportation systems are facing extraordinary challenges. And these funds will go a long way to assisting our transit industry partners in battling COVID-19. And, and it is a lot of money. Get this, I think you probably already know this, but it is 280% of the FY 2020 allocation. So folks have already received their FY 2020 allocation. This is 280% of that amount added on top of it. So almost 300% on top of what the 100% they've already gotten. So close to 400% available this year. And that's to cover all the extra costs uh, that are being incurred right now. 
So uh, they've also established, FTA has, an emergency relief docket that allows transit providers in states where the governor has declared an emergency related to COVID-19 to request temporary relief from federal requirements, uh, as well as any non-statutory requirements. Additionally, FTA recently announced, and I already covered that here, but they will provide a 30-day extension of the deadline for current competitive grant funding program opportunities, including FTA's grants for buses and bus facilities program, the passenger ferry grant program, accelerating innovative mobility, the AIM challenge grant, and helping obtain prosperity for everyone, the HOPE grant. Um, and they're working closely with um, the U.S. Department of Transportation is working closely with APTA uh, and with uh, CTAA and other associations to make sure that they're getting this information out to folks. But the money is in the pipe now. It's a reimbursement program like FTA's programs normally are, but it's an amazing amount of money for our transit systems to help keep them afloat during this troubled time. So that's it for the headline news today. A little longer than normal, but a lot of news to cover. I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us on this um, fresh episode for the weekend of April 3rd, 4th, and 5th uh, on Transit Unplugged, the Comforts Corner edition, which we bring you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, a new episode that includes headline news, a newsmaker interview, and then a reading from our best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. You all stay safe out there and have a great weekend. All right, I've got Julie Tim on the line on our Newsmaker Hotline. Julie Tim is a Chief Executive Officer at the GRTC Transit System in Richmond, Virginia. Julie, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you. So, um, as you know, we're talking about the response of transit systems to the COVID-19 virus and its impact. And you actually made some news recently uh, because of your response to it. But first off, we'll get to that in a minute. First off, uh, so Richmond is the capital of Virginia. And uh, tell us some about your transit system. And then we're going to get into what your response is, like the scope, how many buses, you know, riders, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, of course, everything is in flux with, with COVID. But we're, what I would say, is either a a large small agency or a small medium-sized agency. Um, we have a, we're approaching about 10 million rides a year before the COVID incident. We, right, have, yeah. um, we have about 150 buses. We're trying to, to right size that based on a ma massive redesign that was done a little bit over two years ago. Um, but it's a good sized system. We have a lot of, of transit dependent riders as well as choice riders who are telecommuting or sorry, teleworking. And um, it's, it's just, a great system that has a lot of local and regional connectivity. It's in the heart of Virginia. And how many employees do you have there? We have just under 500 employees. I think it's uh, with a recent count, I was 497 employees, not including the mm -hmm. paratransit. Paratransit is being offered by First Transit. And so that's a, that's a different count. If you include them, we're, we cross over that 500 mark. And you're, you're, uh, you're new, kind of new, well, not anymore, but you're newer to the position under a year, right? Well, I just passed the six-month mark, yes. <laughs> wow, what a welcome to transit uh, CEO job, huh? It is, it is. It's been, a, it, it's been quite a ride over this past six months. I've loved every minute of it um, as much as it's been a challenge. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful. I couldn't be prouder of the group here, of the team that's pulled together. When you're facing a crisis like this, you really hope to have a team that will pull together as a family, and they really have. They've been amazing. Just prior to this, you were with my buddy Steve Bland down in Nashville, right? He's my hero, yes. Great guy, yeah. <laughs>
So, um, so tell us about, you know, this thing, we're now in our fourth week and uh, today is, um, you know, this is the April 3rd and weekend show that we're taping. So tell us about, you know, a month ago, what happened and what have you done since then? Absolutely. You know, we started watching this along with everyone else, looking at how the, the virus was coming to the United States, where it was showing, um, hoping, of course, as everyone was, that it wouldn't spread to our local area, that it would stay contained and be, um, be shut down very quickly. When it became very clear to us in the, I guess around March 12th, March 13th is when I sent my first email to the board to say, hey, look, uh, respectfully, of course, uh, yeah. this, is, this is gonna be a thing. And I, I think that it's gonna be a thing for many, many months. We started putting into place, what would it take? Do we need to go into service cuts? Do we need to look at social distancing on the buses? Um, what does it mean for the, the people paying fares as they get on, how do we keep it going? And there are a lot of different options available and none of them are great. Mm. Luckily around the 17th is when we got word from Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation, our state agency, transit agency, uh, uh, statewide VDOT here, that they were able to get money to support transit statewide. What it meant for us was about $1.12 million and we were able to use that to go immediately the next day to zero fare system and have backdoor boarding for the passengers. It, we knew that when we went that way, that there was the likelihood that we would see an increase in transit ridership. That's the one weird thing about all this is that we're trying to make transit better so fewer people will ride. I mean, <laughs> that's just like the weirdest thing ever to have to say that. Let's make it better so, so less people can ride it. It's safer for them. But that's exactly what we put into place. Um, and we did see that jump in ridership. So DRPT allowed us to go fare free, have backdoor boarding, make sure our operators stayed safe, made sure that they stayed healthy, kept that distancing, and then we saw that jump in ridership the very next day. Um, right, and that's when you made news, right? What happened? We did make news. So we put out what I, I, I use my, my finger quotes to say, we put out a ban on uh, underage, uh, unaccompanied minors who are not going to work, as well as groups of people who are riding or joy riding. So we said no unaccompanied minors unless they're going to work and no uh, people riding the system over and over again. And really it was an acknowledgement, an exaggeration and an uh, enhancement of a policy we already had in place that, that said if you're getting on the bus and you're, you're being rowdy or if you're riding for long periods of time, the operators have the right and the system has the right to remove you from the system. Uh, we had kids coming on the very next day after, after Zero Fare saying, yelling out the windows, saying, hey, come on the bus, it's free. We had a bump up of ridership of nearly three to 4,000 riders, uh, passengers that day. And it just, we, it went completely against the idea of social distancing. So in a reaction to that, we tried to amplify the message of don't ride. If you're an unaccompanied minor, we can take you off the system. We can take you off, dispatch would come. You'd get a supervisor there to get them to a safe haven or a place where it was safe to, to put them. We didn't just throw them off the bus, but, um, but yeah, it, it made some news. And, and what's been the response since then? Well, at first, I think there was a little bit of concern from our operators that because we tried to put that out so quickly, there was some concern from them that we were actually asking them to leave minors behind or to kick minors off and to have to, to be that police on the bus. And that was never our intention. So we very, very quickly made sure we had communications with our staff to say, no, this is not for uh, the operators to police. This is for 
specifically that if you have issues, if you see this as a trouble where you have a lot of miners coming on and being rowdy, call dispatch. We'll get a supervisor out there, um, if necessary, police, if it becomes that, and we'll get them off. And we just haven't had that issue since then. People have been riding respectfully. I wish they would ride less but um, when they don't need to, but unfortunately, a lot of them do need to. So what's the status of things right now as we as we sit here on the weekend, the first weekend of April, what's happening in Richmond and with your transit system and what do you see happening next week? Well, it's, uh, again, I hate to say this is a beautiful day in Richmond. I hate that, uh, that I'm inside and I think a lot of people are hating being quarantined at home or, or staying safe at home on such a beautiful, beautiful day. The natural idea is that you would get out, you would jump on the transit system and go to the park. And that's exactly what we're asking people not to do. Mm. Uh, at the beginning of the month, you see a lot of people with their monthly benefits need to get on to get food. They need to get on to get uh, pr their prescriptions filled. And that means that we are expecting to see a jump in that ridership. And we need to preserve our space for the people who need it. So we do see that. We are looking at trying to do a little bit of a system reconfiguration over the next two weeks, not to cut service overall, but where we have some of our express routes that, that function for state employees that who are now telecommuting, we're taking those resources and we wanna add those back onto those bus lines that are still carrying 30, 40, and sometimes even 60 passengers on a bus when they're supposed to be social distancing and we don't want more than 10, take the resources from where there's zero riders, put them on where we have a, a large ridership, caravan those buses and try and spread them out on multiple buses. We're even doing that with the paratransit system with First Transit to try and make sure that one, they, they stay fully employed, that we don't lay anyone off there, but that um, with the paratransit riders, they're not going to get their hair done, they're not going to church they're not going to all those other rides they might normally take they're staying home so we can take those resources and put them on some of our routes that were express routes where we only have one or two riders one or two riders on an on-demand van pool or a, a paratransit van makes sense that 40-foot bus is no longer there it's now caravanning on the, the routes that are having that 30 40 or 50 60 passengers per bus so try and use the resources we have the funding we have to keep everyone fully employed, keep them socially distanced and safe, and keep that economy going. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. You're taking some very proactive steps. Uh, I know that um, hopefully within a month or two, we'll be coming out of this thing, and we can, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on, and we'll talk about you know, what's next, and maybe have you as a regular guest on a regular episode. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Right. And I, I do want to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to all of our local partners and to the state and the feds. Without the funding that they're providing, we wouldn't be able to provide the service that is so critically essential to our healthcare riders and to the people keeping the economy going and our own staff. So I, I just am so blessed that they're looking out for us. All right, and welcome to our third portion of the program today, our weekend edition of Transit Unplugs Comforts Corner. And today we are trying something new. Uh, as you know, at the end of each show, we do a reading from our best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation, which hit number one on Amazon uh, in the month of March for transportation books. It is available for digital download on Amazon and also uh, as a paperback from both Barnes and Noble and Amazon online. Uh, the uh, the cool thing about the book was I was able to include input from 40 top transit futurists and leaders and CEOs and associations around the world. 
And uh, one of the experts in the book is Paola Riopozo. She's a good friend of mine, has uh, worked at a number of companies in the industry, and now works with me at Trapeze, uh, and is um, wrote a chapter about um, kind of the future of rail transportation. Uh, she spent a long time in the rail industry, uh, both in Mexico and then uh, since she's been in the U.S., and now she is our director of rail strategy and product marketing. And uh, she reads her section of the book today um, from the chapter she wrote on the future of rail transportation. I think you'll find it interesting, enlightening, and uh, we're going to try to have more authors uh, of their own chapters read their own sections and bring you a few more voices on the show than just mine. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today, and I uh, hope you have a great, safe weekend, and we'll see you next week here on Transit Unplugged. Passenger rail services promote mobility and accessibility, allowing millions of people in North America to travel to work, school, and other places for tourism, recreation, and commerce in areas where no other mode of transportation is always available, convenient, or affordable for some people. Close to 100 rail systems operate in North America today. Streetcar, light rail, heavy rail, or subway and commuter rail form an important part of the regional transportation system to support daily commutes. These modes join the more conventional intercity railroads in their effort to develop the rail market and relieve other means of transportation. When I think of the future of passenger rail in North America, I see a highly integrated mode that is critical to seamless passenger mobility. Rail continues to promote economic growth, sustainability, and green initiatives of cities and supports the vision of a truly reliable, convenient, and frictionless experience, commonly known as mobility as a service. Due to its inherent benefits and the positive impact the rail has on communities, it is paramount that the role of rail is promoted and unneglected especially with a growing population, changing demographics, and an increased pressure to reduce carbon footprint. The more commuter-oriented rail modes will have the highest impact on people's daily life with the delivery of improved services and customer experience. A shift in city planning and environmental goals will drive commuting behaviors that will relieve, relieve congestion in urban areas, mainly through these rail modes. The intercity rail network will see the creation of new corridors that deliver true high-speed transportation between regions with high population density. Long-distance travel will become more convenient and competitive offering comparable to cars and airplanes. However, rail faces a reality that is different from other modes of transportation. The aging infrastructure, the considerable capital investment required to build fast and efficient rail systems, and the difficulty in increasing service with limited track capacity present more significant challenges to the future of rail. For a real transformation in the long term, the industry must embrace innovation in all aspects of the business. This way, the challenges that rail faces today can become the driving forces that will shift the future of passenger rail at last. Given the benefits that rail systems provide to the cities and communities that they serve today, many more systems are already under construction and planning phases. Three primary benefits of rail are mass transportation, energy efficiency, and economic growth. Aging infrastructure and a capital-intensive operation are top challenges in the rail industry, but particularly in North America, a significant car culture, traditional funding practices, and a lack of customer focus has been critical reasons why our passenger rail systems lacks compared to other systems worldwide. The industry now is transforming through innovation, and rail is part of this transformation. Infrastructure to provide rail services is expensive to procure, maintain, and upgrade. It requires significant capital to run safely. 
Even when funding is available, agencies cannot solely focus on expanding the system or improving the customer experience. They also need to allocate the right amount of capital towards keeping existing infrastructure in a good, safe condition and comply with rail safety regulation. Funding is also required to modernize the system and fulfill new customers' demands. The industry continues to seek more participation from the private sector and to develop innovative funding strategies to support their current operation and modernization plans. When rail services become available, ridership follows. In addition to increasing service, public transportation agencies can design communications targeted all segments of the population to educate them and guide them on their adoption journey. They must inform the community about how riding public transportation supports the city's environmental goals. The changing demographics are resulting in new customer demands and service expectations. Rail agencies must innovate and put customer experience at the forefront. This is essential driver to adoption and advocacy for rail. The mobility industry is innovating to deliver better services and excellent customer experience, all driven by demographic, cultural, and technology shifts. Rail is no exception. Industry leaders are working towards improving overall service and experience. Information and convenience will become the key drivers in the effort to making trains an integral part of people mobility. The future of rail is bright. There are plenty of opportunities for rail agencies and operators to improve the service for the millions of riders in North America. Innovation in all aspects of the business will be key to a meaningful transformation of the rail industry. Technology, marketing, and data are some of the tools that the industry will leverage to transform the way business is conducted and communicated. The challenges that are unique to rail will not go away and the industry is already working towards new ways to fund their operation and capital investments. Providing a safe, reliable, informed, and convenient service to riders is and will continue to be the industry's number one priority. Rail, in all its modes, can and will become the most appealing means of transportation in North America.